And Paul was tallying up all the sufferings. And if there was ever a man who experienced great suffering, read 2 Corinthians 11. I mean, his list is unbelievable. And on one side, he puts all of his sufferings. And on the other side, the glory of God to come. And he says, it doesn't even begin to compare because we haven't seen anything yet. This is Search the Scriptures, the Bible study ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're nearing the end of our study of the Revelation, and today we present the final message of a three-part series called, When Heaven Comes to Earth. We're in chapter 21, where we get a description of the New Jerusalem. This is the holy city coming down out of heaven from God and prepared for the church, all those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ. The Apostle John is given a vision of this eternal state, and he notes it's a huge and perfect place. It'll be dazzling in every way, lighted by the glory of God, and its 12 foundations bear the names of the 12 apostles. As we rejoin Dr. Brogy, he notes from verse 21 that each of the gates to the New Jerusalem will be comprised of a single pearl. And we're told here that each one of the gates was a single pearl, a single pearl. Now remember, verse 17 says the thickness of the wall was 144 cubits or 220 feet, or 72 yards, translated into English. And John is reminding us that these pearls have to fit within that structure. If you took the roof off of this building, one of these pearls wouldn't even begin to fit into this auditorium. It is so big. I mean, this is really amazing. And, And how appropriate that you would walk through a gate with a pearl. Not some other stone, but a pearl. Why? Because of the way a pearl is made. A little piece of sand gets in and it irritates the oyster, and he begins to cover that grain of sand with a soft, shiny substance over and over and over again, and then it hardens into a glowing pearl. And how fitting, because just as the oyster was wounded, God's Son was wounded for us. And we will be reminded that even as you walk through the door, these gates are forever a testimony of what took place there on Golgotha. And the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. You know, gold is pretty commonplace to this place. All the gold in the world I own is right here on my finger. But some people spend their whole lives trying to acquire this precious metal that in heaven it's used like asphalt is down here. Look further, and the street of the city was pure gold, like transparent glass. Now, the Greek word here for street is singular. It's not streets, but street. And it refers to the main artery, to the city square, or to multiple streets. That's what the word means. But because the street will be continuous, even when it changes in direction, you wouldn't be wrong to say that the streets, plural, in heaven are paved with gold. Now, with that said, please note this is not some lower-grade gold. This is pure, and he underscores it with the words transparent like glass. You say, Pastor Carl, do you believe that we will literally walk on streets of gold? You better believe it. 
I will have a real resurrected body with a real resurrected foot, and I will walk on real streets that are literally made out of gold. That's what God said. He said what he meant, and we should believe it. And gold is so appropriate because it typifies the greatness of God and the deity of God. We'll talk about that later on this month. Now, remember Hebrews 11 and verse 10. The city whose architect and builder is God. That's what that text says. He is a magnificent creator. And we are going to be absolutely blown away when we are invited and ushered into this place. It's priceless. Now, in the final paragraph, he gives two more dimensions of this place. It's a permeated place. Heaven is a permeated place. Look further now as it's described in verse 22. Look, this is so much better than all this nonsense in these books. I mean, I get more calls over the years in the Bible line over these nonsensical books that are promoted in charisma and Christianity today and by nonsense publishers where there's so much confusion that's being propagated in our day. I wouldn't buy Christianity today anymore. I wouldn't buy Charisma Magazine with all their charismaniac crackos who are promoted. We'll talk about that when we come to Revelation 22. And I wouldn't support a lot of these publishers. Lifeway, they've gone down the tubes. They had to close all their stores this year. I think that was God's discipline on them. Nine, heaven is a permeated place. Look now at verse 22. And I saw, he says, no temple in it. For the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. John noted that some items were missing from this city. He says there's no temple. Now, that's interesting. Why is there no temple? Because I thought earlier we had read there was a temple. There was. And I dust off your minds with Revelation chapter 8 and verse 3. I know it seemed a millennium ago that we studied it. But there we read, another angel came and stood at the altar holding a golden censer, and much incense was given to him so that he might add to it the prayers of the saints on the golden altar, which was before the throne. If you remember in Revelation 11 and verse 19, John wrote, then the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. And if you remember, in Exodus 25, when Moses is given the Ten Commandments, he's also given a set of blueprints. Let me read from Hebrews, who quotes that text. Moses was warned by God when he was about to erect the tabernacle. For see, he says, that you make all things according to the pattern which was shown you on the mountain. The word pattern is the Greek word tupos. So you will hear sometimes of a pastor speak of a type. A type is an Old Testament picture of a New Testament reality. And if you know Hebrews, then you know that some of these Jewish Christians were tempted to go back and worship in the temple in order to escape persecution and their businesses being boycotted. But the, boycotted. But the writer of the Hebrews reminds us that those things, those uh, sacrifices that were made were just shadows or copies and that they needed to come to the real thing, who is Christ. 
And so those priests who served in the first tabernacle, and later the first temple, and then the second temple, were serving in a sanctuary that was a copy, that was an example, a type of the one that was literally in heaven. And after the rapture of the church, as we've already seen, when the door in heaven is open, you will see this temple. But remember, this temple is still there before the millennial reign of Messiah. Why is it still there? I suspect God's going to teach us a lot. Because during the millennial reign, Ezekiel tells us of another temple, a fifth temple that is going to be built, depending on how you number them. It's different from the tribulation temple. Some would put it three, some would four. But then there's the millennial temple. And remember, people will enter into the millennial reign who survive the tribulation in their natural bodies. They will have children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. And each of those people will need to make a decision for Jesus. And one of the tools that God will use to Jew, for Jew and Gentile alike will be the millennial temple. It will be instructive, like the Lord's table today is instructive. It will be instructive to the children of tribulation saints and the grandchildren who will need to decide for or against Christ. And of course, if you remember, at the end of the millennial reign, a great number like the sand of the seashore who don't receive Jesus during that thousand years when he's ruling will go against him, but that will be squashed in a moment. But now the need for the instruction that would have been given during the millennial reign, and certainly I'm sure there will be many, maybe some even here, that will be God's teachers during that time who, because Zechariah tells us that people yearly will need to make a pilgrimage here, at least a representative from the nation, there will be no more need for this. Remember, in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle, in the original temples, God was in a certain place. He was localized. But in this coming heaven, God will fill the place. God will be everywhere. I saw no temple. Why? Because or for the Lord, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. What a crushing blow, by the way, to amillennialism in covenant theology. So there are some popular books written on heaven, and they use a lot of the passages in the Old Testament, like Ezekiel, like Isaiah, that speak of the millennial reign of the Messiah on the earth. And they try from those passages to give us a picture of what heaven is like. But he's not talking about heaven in those places. He's talking about the millennial reign of the Messiah. And so if you're going to be consistent and use these passages like Randy Alcorn does in his book on heaven, and there's some good things in his book. I'm not dismissing that. But there's a lot of error in the book that's driven by his covenant theology. But if you're going to be consistent... Oh, there's a temple. There's no temple in this place. So you run into some real problems. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. Why is there no need? Because the Father's presence is no longer limited to some localized spot. He is filling with the Son and with the Spirit because these members are co-equal, co-eternal. They cannot be separated. Here, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one. They are filling this place. I saw no temple in it for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. 
There will be no need for a sanctuary, no need for a cathedral, no need for a church building. You know, we come here on the Lord's Day to worship, and we should because God commands it. I'm glad for those who are live streaming us in other states in a different time zone. I'm assuming that they will be in a church before the morning is out. I'm glad for those who live stream from foreign countries. And I'm glad for those who are elderly and infirmed and some moms who have got sick kids who are live streaming us today. But if you're physically able, you're to be with God's people on the Lord's day. That's what he commands. But we often relegate worship to, you know, coming here and singing some songs and listening to the Bible, and that's a dimension of it. But worship in the Bible is much more than just when we gather here. It's our whole life. And we will totally have it right at this time because God will fill the place in every dimension of our lives as we are in our resurrected bodies. In heaven, the secular and the spiritual are not dichotomized. What Paul was trying to affirm, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Now, quickly and finally, heaven is a perfect place. Not only a permeated place in that God fills it, it is indeed a perfect place. Let's read now in verse 23. The city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. The light that illumines this city speaks of the absolute perfection of heaven. How do I know that? Because the best interpreter of Scripture is Scripture itself. Years earlier in 1 John chapter 1, the apostle John, who gave us the revelation, wrote, this is a message we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Now, if you know your Bible, then you know the term light is used metaphorically in two ways, to describe something where light dispels ignorance That is, truth dispels ignorance, but light can also be used metaphorically, apart from literally, of being the opposite of darkness or the opposite of sin. And John simply says in this verse, God is light, and in him there's no darkness, no sin at all. And of course, if you remember the context of that chapter, he's speaking about the Christian who's been saved, of keeping not your relationship, that it can never be broken, that's eternal, but your fellowship close with the Lord. And if God seems distant to you today, it's not God's fault. It would be your fault. And these wicked Bible teachers who are teaching today that we as believers have to ask God, I mean, I I can hardly even say it. I don't even want to say it. They say that God can be wrong and that we must forgive God. That is just sheer blasphemy. And when I read an article in Charisma magazine, I wanted to throw up that God needs to be forgiven. And the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. 
Do you remember when Peter, James, and John are up there in the Mount of Transfiguration and they get a glimpse of the coming kingdom and we are told he, Jesus, was transfigured before them and his face shone like the sun and his garments became white as light. But even on that occasion, it was in his pre-glorified body. But still, the brightness of the Lord's presence was seen, at least in some subjugated form. It's not by accident that the prophet Malachi compares the S-O-N to the S-U-N in Malachi chapter 4 when he speaks of the Messiah. Or think about that day, midday, when God pulls back the shade of heaven. And here's this guy named Saul of Tarsus who's on his way to Damascus to murder more Christians and to persecute them. And he's blinded by the light of Christ. It knocks him off his feet on the ground. And literally, he's blinded for three days. Gave him some time to think. Well, here is a place where there's no artificial light, no even created light, because God, who is light, will radiate and fill this place. You say, well, I look forward to the sun sets and the sun rising. Remember, this is just the capital city. This is the capital city that will come down on a new heaven and a new earth, and I suspect that there will be some parallel dimensions to the new heaven and the new earth that we see today. So here in the city, in the capital, there's no night, there's no darkness, there's no sunrises, there's no sunsets, there's no artificial light. God himself illumines the place. And notice in verse 24, he then goes on to say, the nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. The city is so bright that it provides light for the saved here, termed as the nations, meaning those who are saved back on earth. Remember, we studied back in Revelation 7 and verse 9. John says, I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the Lamb. And yes, there will be kings there. Today, we'd say presidents prime ministers, politicians, because there are some who are converted and who really know and love the Lord. In fact, verse 26 affirms kings and regular folks, so to speak, will bring their glory into this place, and they will be trophies of what God can do by His grace. Let's read verses 25 and 26. In the daytime... For there was no night there. Its gates will never be closed, and they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. Once again, the reason you need gates is because this city is just the capital. You'll be on a new earth, but you will from time to time, I don't know how often, the Scripture doesn't tell us, you will come visit the capital city. And you will come through a gate, and the gates are never closed. And to the first century reader, that was huge. Because your gate was your point of defense, and every night the gates would be closed for protection. But there's no need to close a gate in this city, because there's no sin on the earth. This is a safe place. Furthermore, verse 27, and nothing unclean. And no one 
who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those names who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Sin and sinners, we've already studied, they've been dealt with. They have been cast into the lake of fire that is the final resting place of all lost people. But for the believer, our sin nature will have been eradicated. When we see him, the Bible says we will be like him. And so John says nothing unclean, meaning no sinners can ever enter this state, this place. In our glorified state, every thought, word, and deed that you will ever say think or do will be absolutely holy like God. And then he says, no one who practices, and the key word there is practice. Now understand, John affirmed in his first epistle, the one who says he's never sinned or doesn't sin is making God a liar and saying his word is not true. James will say we all stumble in many ways. The key word here is practice, practice, practice. Say the unbeliever has a direction that practices sin as a way of life. We'll come to this further when we come to the 22nd chapter. Now, how are we going to apply this today? Let me make some applications as we close. Number one, this passage gives us hope in the most painful situations of life. Someone who read this 2,000 years ago received great hope from this text of Scripture. I mean, there are believers worldwide today who will pay the ultimate price every day across the planet. Some of God's people, because they confess Jesus as Lord, are persecuted, and some will die. There are other believers here today who have a heart filled with sorrow because you've lost a loved one. Some of you have an incurable disease. Some of you have told me about the abusive relationships that you have to deal with in this life. And then there are always some who are just struggling to survive. But listen, someday it's all going to change. Paul will say in Romans 8, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Paul said, I consider, I reckon, it's a mathematical term to put to one's account, to number. And Paul was tallying up all the sufferings. And if there was ever a man who experienced great suffering, read 2 Corinthians 11. I mean, his list is unbelievable. And on one side, he puts all of his sufferings. And on the other side, the glory of God to come. And he says, it doesn't even begin to compare because we haven't seen anything yet. Now, as your pastor, I'm aware of much of what many of you have told me. You call me, you ask for prayer, you come into the office for counseling. But I want to encourage you that what you're in today is not forever. Praise God, it is all going to change. We already read, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death, no longer any mourning or crying or pain. Why? Because the first things have passed away. You'll understand it better by and by as we sing. Look to God in your trials for his strength because he will meet you. But set your heart on the things that are above because this earth is not our home. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but someday we'll see very clearly. Second, 
To enter God's holy city, you must have your name in God's book. The last verse of the chapter warns us, only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life will enter into this place. Is your name there this morning? You say, I hope it is. Hope so is not a good answer. You want to know so. And if this were your last day on earth, I had someone come to meet the pastor. They told me yesterday, I said, I haven't seen you since meet the pastor. Oh, pastor, just the next day, blood pressure went up to 200, had been in the hospital several times. I said, thank God you received Christ. Because had God taken you out with a heart attack, it would not have been good. She said, I know. But you think about this. Suppose you could go to a place where people never, ever got sick where there was no crime, no murder, no locked doors, no immorality, a place of praise and worship. Wouldn't you want to go there? You can. And if you don't, it will be your fault because you chose against Christ. Now, Father, I thank you for what you have revealed in Scripture, and thank you that the Word of God is sufficient, that we don't need direct revelation beyond your Word because it is complete. And you will warn us before we are done with this book that we are not to add or subtract to it. I pray today, my Father, for someone who is here who doesn't really have the assurance that heaven is their home because they do not understand the completed work of Jesus on the cross. Thank you that if we will repent, if we will change our mind about sin, that it is evil and needs forgiveness and changing. And if we will come and put our faith where you put our sin on the one who in his own body on the cross bore all of our judgment and you proved his sinlessness when you raised him from the dead, that if we will call upon him in faith, you promised whoever will call upon him will be saved. Help someone today, Father, to say, Lord Jesus, save me. And Father, in a congregation in a church this size, there are people every week who are filled with heartache but thank you that we are not insignificant, that as David affirmed, we can't go anywhere from your presence. And when he considered how great you are, he said, such thinking is just too awesome for me. Help them to realize that this world is not our home, that we are going to a place where we will spend all of an eternity, that the current sufferings don't even begin to compare to what you've prepared for us. Help us to keep first things first, to keep our eyes on the things that are above, that our hearts might not be filled with despair, but with a sense of purpose and a guaranteed hope that you have given to your people. And I ask it in Jesus' name, amen. To listen again to today's message, part three of When Heaven Comes to Earth, Use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. 
You can also order a CD or DVD copy by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV65. Search the Scriptures is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you can help, click the Give button online at searchthescriptures.org or on the Search the Scriptures app or call 877-787-7478. Thank you. Tomorrow we move into chapter 22 of Revelation and begin a look at Paradise Regained. Join us then as we search the Scriptures. Search the Scriptures.